Chapter six of Sylvie and Bruno Concluded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Eastman. Sylvie and Bruno Concluded by Lewis Carroll. Chapter six Willie's Wife. He made for the door of the public house but the children intercepted him. Sylvie clung to one arm, while Bruno, on the opposite side, was pushing him with all his strength, with many inarticulate cries of, "'Gee up! Gee up! Whoa, then!' which he had picked up from the wagoners. Willie took not the least notice of them. He was simply conscious that something had checked him, and, for want of any other way of accounting for it, he seemed to regard it as his own act." "'I wunnut come in,' he said. "'Not to-day.' "'A mug of beer wunnut hurty,' his friends shouted in chorus. Two mugs wunnut hurty, nor a dozen mugs.' "'Nay,' said Willie, "'I'm a-goin' home.' "'What withoutin' thy drink, Willie man?' shouted the others. But Willie man would have no more discussion, and turned doggedly away, the children keeping one on each side of him to guard him against any change in his sudden resolution. For a while he walked on stoutly enough, keeping his hands in his pockets, and softly whistling a tune in time to his heavy tread. His success, in appearing entirely at his ease, was almost complete. But a careful observer would have noted that he had forgotten the second part of the air, and that, when it broke down, he instantly began it again, being too nervous to think of another, and too restless to endure silence. It was not the old fear that possessed him now, the old fear that had been his dreary companion every Saturday night he could remember, as he had reeled along, steadying himself against gates and garden palings, and when the shrill reproaches of his wife had seemed to his dazed brain only the echo of a yet more piercing voice within, the intolerable wail of a hopeless remorse. It was a wholly new fear that had come to him now. Life had taken on itself a new set of colors, and was lighted up with a new and dazzling radiance, and he did not see, as yet, how his home life and his wife and child would fit in to the new order of things. The very novelty of it all was, to his simple mind, a perplexity and an overwhelming terror. And now the tune died into sudden silence on the trembling lips, as he turned a sharp corner, and came in sight of his own cottage, where his wife stood, leaning with folded arms on the wicket gate, and looking up the road with a pale face that had in it no glimmer of the light of hope, only the heavy shadow of a deep stony despair. "'Fine and early, lad, fine and early!' The words might have been words of welcoming, but oh the bitterness of the tone in which she said it! "'What brings thee from thy merry mates in all the fiddling and the jigging? Pockets empty, I doubt, or thou'st come, maybe, for to see thy little one die? The bairnie's clemmed, and I've nor bite nor sup to gee her. But what dost thou care?' She flung the gate open, and met him with blazing eyes of fury. The man said no word. Slowly and with downcast eyes he passed into the house, while she, half terrified at his strange silence, followed him in without another word, and it was not till he had sunk into a chair, 
with his arms crossed on the table and with drooping head that she found her voice again it seemed entirely natural for us to go in with them at another time one would have asked leave for this but i felt i knew not why that we were in some mysterious way invisible and as free to come and to go as disembodied spirits the child in the cradle woke up and raised a piteous cry which in a moment brought the children to its side bruno rocked the cradle while sylvie tenderly replaced the little head on the pillow from which it had slipped but the mother took no heed of the cry nor yet of the satisfied coo that it set up when sylvie had made it happy again she only stood gazing at her husband and vainly trying with white quivering lips i believe she thought he was mad to speak in the old tones of shrill upbraiding that he knew so well and thus spent all thy wages i'll swear thou hast on the devil's own drink and thou'st been and made thy son and beast again as thou allest dost hasna the man muttered his voice hardly rising above a whisper as he slowly emptied his pockets on the table thar's the wage missus every penny on't the woman gasped and put one hand to her heart as if under some great shock of surprise then how's thee got in the drink hasna gotten it he answered her in a tone more sad than sullen i hanna touched a drop this blessed day no he cried aloud bringing his clenched fist heavily down upon the table and looking up at her with gleaming eyes nor i'll never touch another drop of the cursed drink till i die so help me god my maker his voice which had suddenly risen to a hoarse shout dropped again as suddenly and once more he bowed his head and buried his face in his folded arms the woman had dropped upon her knees by the cradle while he was speaking she neither looked at him nor seemed to hear him with hands clasped above her head she rocked herself wildly to and fro oh my god oh my god was all she said over and over again sylvie and bruno gently unclasped her hands and drew them down till she had an arm round each of them though she took no notice of them but knelt on with eyes gazing upwards and lips that moved as if in silent thanksgiving the man kept his face hidden and uttered no sound but one could see the sobs that shook him from head to foot after a while he raised his head his face all wet with tears polly he said softly and then louder old paul then she rose from her knees and came to him with a dazed look as if she were walking in her sleep who was it called me old paul she asked her voice took on it a tender playfulness her eyes sparkled and the rosy light of youth flushed her pale cheeks till she looked more like a happy girl of seventeen than a worn woman of forty was that my own lad my willie a waitin for me at the stile his face too was transformed in the same magic light to the likeness of a bashful boy and boy and girl they seemed as he wound an arm about her and drew her to his side while with the other hand he thrust from him the heap of money as though it were something hateful to the touch take it lass he said take it all and fetch us summat to eat but get a sup of milk first for to bairn my little bairn she murmured as she gathered up the coins my own little lassie 
Then she moved to the door, and was passing out. But a sudden thought seemed to arrest her. She hastily returned, first to kneel down and kiss the sleeping child, and then to throw herself into her husband's arms and be strained to his heart. The next moment she was on her way, taking with her a jug that hung on a peg near the door. We followed close behind. We had not gone far before we came in sight of a swinging signboard bearing the word Dairy on it, and here she went in, welcomed by a little curly white dog, who, not being under the eerie influence, saw the children, and received them with the most effusive affection. When I got inside, the dairyman was in the act of taking the money. "'Is it for thy sen, missus, or for to bairn?' he asked, when he had filled the jug, pausing with it in his hand. "'For to bairn,' she said, almost reproachfully. "'Thinkst thou'd touch a drop my sen, while as she hadna got her fill?' "'All right, missus,' the man replied, turning away with the jug in his hand. "'Let's just make sure it's good measure.' He went back among his shelves of milk-bowls, carefully keeping his back towards her, while he emptied a little measure of cream into the jug, muttering to himself, "'Maybe it'll hearten her up a bit, the little lassie.' The woman never noticed the kind deed, but took back the jug with a simple, "'Good evening, master,' and went her way. But the children had been more observant, and as we followed her out, Bruno remarked, that was welly kind, and I loves that man, and if I was welly rich I'd give him a hundred pounds and a bun. That little grumbling dog doesn't know its business. He referred to the dairyman's little dog, who had apparently quite forgotten the affectionate welcome he had given us on our arrival, and was now following at a respectful distance, doing his best to speed the parting guest, with a shower of little shrill barks that seemed to tread on one another's heels. "'What is a dog's business?' laughed Sylvie. "'Dogs can't keep shops and give change.' "'Sisters' businesses isn't to laugh at their brothers,' Bruno replied with perfect gravity. "'And dogs' businesses is to bark. Not like that. It should finish one bark before it begins another, and it should—oh, Sylvie, there's some dindledums!' and in another moment the happy children were flying across the common, racing for the patch of dandelions. While I stood watching them, a strange dreamy feeling came upon me. A railway platform seemed to take the place of the green sward, and instead of the light figure of Sylvie bounding along, I seemed to see the flying form of Lady Muriel. But whether Bruno had also undergone a transformation, and had become the old man whom she was running to overtake, I was unable to judge, so instantaneously did the feeling come and go. When I re-entered the little sitting-room which I shared with Arthur, he was standing with his back to me, looking out of the open window, and evidently had not heard me enter. A cup of tea, apparently just tasted and pushed aside, stood on the table, on the opposite side of which was a letter just begun, with a pen lying across it. An open book lay on the sofa. The London paper occupied the easy chair, and on the little table which stood by it I noticed an unlighted cigar and an open box of cigar lights, all things betokened that the doctor, usually so methodical and so self-contained, had been trying every form of occupation and could settle to none. "'This is very unlike you, doctor,' 
I was beginning, but checked myself, as he turned at the sound of my voice, in sheer amazement at the wonderful change that had taken place in his appearance. Never had I seen a face so radiant with happiness, or eyes that sparkled with such unearthly light. Even thus, I thought, must the herald angel have looked, who brought to the shepherds watching over their flocks by night that sweet message of peace on earth, good will to men. Yes, dear friend, he said, as if in answer to the question that I suppose he read in my face. It is true, it is true. No need to ask what was true. God bless you both, I said, as I felt the happy tears brimming to my eyes. You were made for each other. Yes, he said simply, I believe we were. And what a change it makes in one's life. This isn't the same world. That isn't the sky I saw yesterday. Those clouds, I never saw such clouds in all my life before. They look like troops of hovering angels. To me they looked very ordinary clouds indeed, but then I had not fed on honeydew and drunk the milk of paradise. She wants to see you at once, he continued, descending suddenly to the things of earth. She says that is the one drop yet wanting in her cup of happiness. I'll go at once, I said, as I turned to leave the room. Won't you come with me? No, sir said the doctor, with a sudden effort, which proved an utter failure, to resume his professional manner. Do I look like coming with you? Have you never heard that two is company, and— Yes, I said, I have heard it, and I am painfully aware that I am number three. But when shall we three meet again? When the hurly-burly's done, he answered with a happy laugh, such as I had not heard from him for many a year. End of chapter 6